0: Really happy to be here with Mira Rao. Uh, we've actually been looking forward to this conversation for a while because um, Mira does amazing work helping people. What we're gonna talk about is basically how do we really get to the state of authentic expression of ourselves? I mean, you know, those of you who watch me you know I, I love talking about authentic you know, um, business and, and expression, but it's like the thing that I don't talk about nearly enough anywhere, really, is the stuff that we're going to talk about today with Mira, which is what is keeping people often from being able to be really authentic in their, um, their goal setting and in their expression. So Mira, thank you so much for being here.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, George. I'm really looking forward to our chat.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, let me just share a little bit about your background and then um, we'll get into the conversation. So Mira, you've got 25 years of yoga practice experience and also teaching yoga and body-based therapy for 10 years. So amazing. You've got, um, you know, you've you've studied linguistics, journalism, business. Now you're actually doing an advanced degree in counseling from Notre Dame University. Uh, Clients are seeking you out when they're, especially when they're burnt out on, you know, getting stuck in the past with therapy. And yet when they get into coaching, sometimes it feels like they're whitewashing their pain with toxic positivity, which we'll talk about. Uh, So you teach your clients how to develop practical ways, develop routines, rituals for embodied resilience, so that they can work through unresolved traumas, uh, deal better with challenges and, and stress, and, and then really start moving towards what they really want in their lives. So thank you for the work you do. And I, uh, I want to start with um, this dichotomy between therapy and coaching. Let's start there, if that's okay, because yeah. um, there are a lot of uh, people watching this who are coaches, and there are a lot of people watching this who have some kind of therapeutic background, or who certainly have done therapy. So what is your point of view on this? Um, what's going on with that, with that dichotomy, that tension there?
1: Beautiful, thank you for the question. And essentially, so myself as well, have been involved in these worlds for a very long time. And I've been observing, what is this balance? And to me, it looks like a continuum where in the therapy, the, the therapeutic world and the history of therapy has been very much about What's what's wrong? What you know? Where's the splinter? What's causing your pain? And how do we go in there and extract things and take it out and heal? And then coaching's really been about well, what makes you come alive? What where is your thriving? You know, how do you flourish in your life? And let's put in place those things so that you can move forward. And yet what I've seen play out in my own life, those of my clients, is that there needs to be a bit more of a bridge. So in the coaching, we're on the outside, we're in strategy. And in the therapy, we're often very, very internalized. And there are pitfalls in both of those things if we're too much at one end of the continuum or the other. So we can be very navel-gazing and focused on our pain and get stuck there in a kind of wallowing experience, or we can be... Moving into these goals, but not really feeling like our whole humanity is getting embraced and seen, and the the wounds that are getting in the way of taking those step for, steps forward might not be attended to if we're just like, "Come on, push yourself," you know, in that really kind of dynamic, goal goal oriented coaching influenced philosophical way. Yeah. So that's what I've observed, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do is find that that bridge in this kind of work,
0: right. Beautiful. Um, A couple of I think a couple of terms we probably should define at the start of this conversation. Um, You know, trauma. I mean, I know we that is an increasingly popular idea in the past couple of years. But I think it would be good to hear from your point of view what you consider trauma to be, but also um, self-regulation, you know um a lot of us you know those of us who are have done some of this work we just kind of like it just comes out when we say these things but it, it it's good to get on the same page with it uh, of course talk about polyvagal theory and um yeah any other kind of like major terms i'm just looking at my notes here that that you think is is important but let's start with those trauma self-regulation polyvagal theory anywhere you like to start there
1: Beautiful, thank you. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start because trauma has been traditionally a little bit of a scary word. And people are like, oh, that hasn't happened to me because they think about something really, really huge. Like
0: you have to have your your, your both your legs cut off, then, then exactly. that's trauma.
1: Exactly, like yeah. on the physical level, that's right. Like some major accident, car accident, something like that. Or on the emotional level, you know, severe, significant, long-term abuse. That's kind of what people have mapped in their heads is like, that's trauma, which it is. And yet the, defin- the working definition that's much more encompassing, again, of the real human experience is simply an experience in our life in which our nervous system was overwhelmed and unable to cope. And that can come through a variety of reasons. But essentially, if our nervous system perceives some kind of threat and we can't respond effectively to that threat, then it becomes an overwhelming experience in which we shut down, we clamp down that experience in our bodies and then we internally have have like a dissociated like pain internalized experience so that's trauma it's basically that I didn't have in that moment that the thing happened could have been a small thing just like Uh, for a lot of people, it's more like emotional neglect. So in that moment, I wasn't being attended to. My nervous system couldn't cope with that because for a child, that's a really distressing thing. And therefore, I registered it as an experience that was too much for my system. I felt too alone. I felt too isolated and I shut down. So that's my resources weren't sufficient to meet the stress load that was coming onto my system from that experience.
0: Now that you've described it, I mean all of us have experienced multiple moments of trauma throughout our childhood um, you know thank you for saying that because I think that's that's much clearer even to mm-hmm. me than than I had heard it before uh, mm-hmm. throughout our childhood which is of course our formative years that's when a lot of our I guess response to stress developed right and our um, perhaps limiting beliefs or blocks or you know got got created and then also just as adults we, we have traumatic experiences that further uh maybe you know solidify some of those limits that we put on ourselves or um lack less healthier responses but but okay so you got you've got this thank you for defining that now self-regulation has become well i guess maybe in our circles i've seen it more and more you know um, but I think just for all of us for the viewer and just for this conversation how do you what's what's self-regulation in your viewpoint
1: sure I want to start just to that point um, George I was watching there's a uh, somebody I really admire in the trauma recovery world called Maston Kipp and he was laughing he was doing an interview with another woman called Sarah Baldwin who's also amazing in this in this field and um, he turns to the audience he goes oh oh you're so well regulated and he's like in our industry that's like the highest compliment
0: (laughs) right exactly it's like in inside jargon for like you're amazing (laughs) yeah yeah
1: so i i want to come back to defining again because i gave you a lot of words but i think that i really like this image so you know resilience Mm. is this you know is the capacity to bend here's the stress load coming on. So even if you just replace the word trauma with stress, because they're very similar in the way they're responding in the system, and then this is stress, right, and this is resilience, and that's trauma. So I like, I'm such an embodiment person, so that for me, like, oh, I feel that. When the, the resilience becomes overwhelmed and our level of resources is not sufficient to meet the level of stress, this happens, right? So... Regulation is the capacity to the capacity to recognize the level of stress that's coming in, how threatening it really is, and to balance it with a sufficient amount of resources so you maintain this happening. So that's the kind of framework of it. And then in a practical, pragmatic, like what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? It means being able to take a breath, you know, what you do and demonstrate so beautifully. To soften your body, to feel those like jarring spurts of energy that might have come in some sort of reaction to something. And then to be able to go, oh, that's my nervous system operating. Beautiful. It's giving me information. Then to come into your prefrontal cortex, into the reasoning rational part of your brain and go, do I need to run away from this thing or, you know, like have some kind of intense reaction? Or do I need to actually keep calm and relate to this situation differently that's kind of how i would look at self-regulation
0: that's a brilliant way of doing it i have never that's just so simple and it makes a lot of sense and this is something you can demonstrate <laughs> to anybody because you know just with your hand you could do this that's, yes. that's amazing that and that's a nice um kind of pick mental mental model for for ourselves to yeah so um all right well one more term and then we'll get into uh, more of this conversation about authenticity which is um polyvagal theory yet 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 another idea that's i've seen more and more and i kind of feel like I, i haven't studied it but i feel like i kind of get it but please explain what is polyvagal theory and why is that important
1: sorry josh um Yes, yeah, so I was realizing because a lot of people you work with and around are starting to become quite passionate, right? So we've right. had some chats about it. Essentially, it's um, Stephen Porges was the academic who created the theory, and essentially, prior to his work, we really became familiar. We saw the stress response as purely the fight or flight response, and that was promoted amongst the trauma community. That was that was how the stress response, the trauma response worked in the body, as far as we understood to that point. However, there were a lot of people who had experienced traumas who'd experienced different states as well from that. So they experienced what we now know uh, as a freeze response in the body. And as he started to look at, well, what's really going on? He started to see this relationship of the vagal nerve. Okay, so that runs from brainstem up into the face and down through the body, down through your heart and into your gut viscera down there. And it governs a lot of our bodily responses. And he started to see that there was an aspect of the vagus nerve, which influenced that freeze response. Then there was the sympathetic, which is actually a different branch of the nervous system that governed the fight, flight, freeze response. And these developed in order evolutionarily. So the freeze response is kind of our lizard ancestor response. It's the. Wow, that's
0: fascinating. That's really cool. Like I'm getting goosebumps as you talk through this because that, yeah, keep keep going, keep going. It
1: makes such sense, doesn't it? That's. Yeah. 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 So we first had that available to us. Then as we became more active and engaged in the world, we had the stress response, the fight-flight response. Then as we became more engaged in community, the vagus nerve, which governs much more the down regulation of the nervous system, so it makes you know, more sleepiness and relaxation come into the body in different forms, the, the ventral vagal aspect, so the higher aspect between the heart and the face, governs our social, that's our social engagement complex of our nervous system. So, oh, how do we feel safe? We feel safe when we see a soft expression on someone's face or in their eyes or a smile. So the vagus nerve essentially is the primary regulator of our nervous experience, of our nervous system states. And when we register threat, we'll go down the hierarchy. So when we're safe, we're in connection with people. Threat is registered, we'll go down into fight flight, If that doesn't work to get us back into safety, we go down to freeze into our primal kind of nervous system state and experience. And what polyvagal theory does in its applied form, teach you that, teach you how to recognize those different states, teach you how to understand what got you to those different states, and teach you how to get out of when you're in the stress responses and back into the social engagement system and to spend more time there which will segue into what we're going to talk about, about real authentic goals.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. So, okay, let's get into this. Um, Now that we've got the background information, why is it? Well, from your point of view, a lot of people are setting goals um, that aren't really, and I mean, we've, we've heard this. It's like, is that really my goal? Is that just like an authority figure? It's like, am I just trying to please my you know parents you know or is it am i am i trying to make my you know partner happy or fulfill some kind of societal standard that makes me feel like i'm worthwhile to be here um i mean we we, we've heard that for many years but now you're putting you're putting sort of this um wonderful you know like deep psychological biological uh, underpinnings to this and Mm. and the way to actually find our authentic truth
1: Mm. so
0: let's talk about this what what is your perspective on this
1: so my perspective on this is that for my particularly in our western society the idea of being truly authentic so when we're in our ventral vagal state and we're able to be really authentic the ideal is that people can meet us in that way But most people are carrying unresolved traumas. So there tends to be a lot of reactivity. And as children, if that experience is not met, then we don't get that experience of safety. So if I come to you as a child with a full open heart and wanting to express my creative joy and I get shut down or I get criticised or I get laughed at, that is not going to be a safe experience for me. So even being in a ventral vagal state of expression, if that's been our experience growing up, isn't necessarily going to be perceived and recognised as safe by our systems. So we are constantly trying to react to the threat of that exposure to our vulnerable, authentic selves by doing things that create some sort of okayness in the other person that allow us to to get some measure of safety so most of our actions decisions our real formation of our identity and self is done in that reactive way Is just all about trying to get safe and then when we try to achieve things in our lives we're coming from this am i safe am i safe am i safe am i safe no it's not safe to be myself i better do this thing that allows the other person to be comfortable so that wow. i can get some comfort yeah
0: people-pleasing
1: Yes, aka people
0: pleasing. Oh my goodness! I mean, the way that you've described it is—it it makes so much sense. It's not—it's not some, you know, uh, it's not a personality flaw. Like you, you, you just don't like judge yourself or judge someone else. Oh, they're a people pleaser. Well, what does that? Why? What? What does that really mean? Like what? How did that happen? And you're giving us that that theoretical underpinning of it. So, um, so no judgment is needed. <laughs> no condemnation is needed. What's needed is understanding. And so tell us, tell, tell, say more. So what happens now? Okay. Now you, as a child, you expressed yourself, um, you know, as, as who you are, weren't accepted fully for that. And what happens as we grow up, we, 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 we develop these defense mechanisms or rather response mechanisms to, Oh, yes. to make sure they're the person. So, so then now, now I'm telling everybody build an authentic business, do marketing authentically. And why is that hard?
1: What a good point, George. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I kind of want to interview you. I'm like, Oh, I want to break out and ask, do you experience that that people actually find the idea of authenticity really uncomfortable? Is that something that happens?
0: Oh yeah. Thank you for asking because I want to, yes. I, I think the most common uh, well, okay. probably the most common experience I hear from people is I can't show up on video. Mm. I can't. And you could tell Mira, you and I are both quite comfortable now Mm. on video, but as you know, a little bit of my story, it took me a long time. It took me years Mm. to become comfortable on video. Um, You know, and I don't know about your story, but it's like, it's like, yeah. So showing up on video and, and to do it from a fully comfortable you know authentic authentically powerful state like your real self state um, your best self your highest best self state being able to be expressed but the the other just generally just showing just being visible in their business like they feel so shy is not quite the right word but you know what i'm talking about so what do you think is happening there
1: yeah so to me the word is unsafe so the idea of the vulnerability of truly expressing you know because Expression of one's true self and true character and true emotions. There is a vulnerability in that. That's just the nature of it. So being connected in from a polyvagal theory within the ventral vagal state means having a sense of trust of being met in that vulnerability. So I think when people have not had that experience, all of this. I think there. I actually think there are a couple of things that are going on. So one is there'll be nervous system patterns you know so we were talking about this you and I about your story and mine and for me the biggest area where I really felt that challenge and that resistance to to the the internal push to express my true self was in my music performances and it was being that vulnerable that visible that exposed was so reminiscent of different experiences where I tried to do that and I was shut down so it automatically felt like oh my God, this is a threatening experience, you know, in terms of the body memory that I had of trying to do that. The other thing that I think also happens is that it's unfamiliar. So the idea of being in an authentic state and of being expansive and self-expressed is actually unfamiliar to most of us. It's not modeled in our society. It's not what we've experienced. And anything that's unfamiliar also can register as a threat. And this is where the, the goal setting gets complicated because it's like, well, why, if I really want it, Do I get so scared of it or feel so bad about it, you know? And why, when I have something positive happen in my life, do I have this kind of weird response to it? Because the nervous system needs to kind of expand and get more flexible and get used to also experiencing the positivity of authentic expression. Oh, my
0: goodness. I mean, you just brought up another really uh, important, uh, I guess, emotional block that a lot of people probably don't even realize they have, which is the block of receiving abundance mm. or receiving two things, especially as we start building our business and we do it, you know, skillfully, we have to learn how to receive number one, praise mm. from, you know, our clients or our audience or, you know, but number two, money, mm. <laughs> you know, like is there, is, isn't there, don't you think there's something here with people who, now, it's funny because I, as you know, I, I like to talk about, you know, charging uh, from, from a state of enoughness and compassion. But at the same time, sometimes I see my, you know, students and clients are like, I'm like, even though I talk about charging from enough, you're still not charging enough. <laughs> like, like, like you're, you're somehow afraid to receive, um, you know, plenty of money. You know, it's but but so talk about this. Like, is, is there something going on there with with regards to the the freeze, fight, flight, or just the the, the yeah yeah your, your, yeah your point of view here? I
1: think, yeah, no, totally. I I mean, I think it's I'd still see that as a pretty similar thing where if we're coming from, there could be a few things because I haven't thought about it so much through this lens. But yeah. if we're coming from a state of protection, then being small is the best protective mechanism we have so anything that makes us visible anything that makes us bigger within our lives is going to feel like a threat so accepting in that money there's one there's the unfamiliarity of it if we've come from these kind of deprivate deprived or deprivation kind of backgrounds and experiences and then there's also this aspect of oh I'm larger I'm more visible that's not going to be safe so it's always as soon as we put that lens of like past experiences conditioning and safety over things like you said it brings such a degree and that's why I love polyvagal it's like there's nothing broken there's nothing wrong your survival system is working exactly as it's meant to it's just that we live in a bit of a whacked out society to be honest you know that doesn't really celebrate humanity very well and the true emotional experience and so you know you're just going to need to tweak it a little bit you know to start to realize oh this is actually safe now you know if i can grow and heal then there's a capacity for me to have safety in my in my self-expression that's Mm. where self-regulation comes in because we're not so reliant on regulating with others
0: Ah, beautiful yes that's the more people understand this uh the more we can accept ourselves and accept each other um and and and, you know, be, be good to each other, essentially, like understanding, okay, this is how many of us grow up without that kind of safety. Well, every, everybody, pretty much, so they're always unsafe situations. But okay, so what is, um, let's, let's move into, well, what do we do about it? Mm. <laughs> okay, so a common prescription these days um, for any kind of mental health issues, we'll just meditate you just got to meditate more (laughs) right what do you say about that
1: yes yes
0: um meditation fixes everything
1: yes how much could i say about that so much so It's funny because for myself, like meditation has been a really important um, part of the journey. Yes,
0: of course, for for many of us. Yes.
1: Yeah, but I loved hearing you talk about that. You know, like, oh, I don't meditate, you know, I don't sit down on my cushion to meditate at this particular time. It's more of a falling into that kind of state in my resting periods or through a breath or through a thing. And so, one of the things that fascinated me um, there's a few things you can actually what do I want to tell you, George? I'm thinking about how to keep this topic, how to bring this topic most saliently alive in this moment. The, the piece that really fascinated me, the discovery I came across, because I actually had really positive experiences with meditation, but I was talking with a lot of friends who were like, I just can't meditate. It's too uncomfortable. Let's do this. It's, there was lots of struggles. My body and, you know, many people were finding, so this is the key, that their bodies were just reacting, you know, to that stillness. There was like, oh, the stillness isn't safe and all this stuff would happen. And so uh, then they might actually end up dissociating, so disconnecting from the sensations in their body. And what I learned from, again, one of my mentors is a woman called Sarah Payton who does a lot of neuroscience, relational neuroscience And looks at the structure of the brain in connection to the nervous system is that there's an aspect of our brain called the default mode network and this is the part of the brain that is switched on when you're not actively engaged in a task so when you're not trying to do something and you're just kind of sitting back into yourself the place that will come alive is the default mode network For someone that's had reasonably good parenting and life experiences and and growing up in a good enough environment, safe enough, that that part of the brain is relatively warm in the sense that the voices they'll hear in their head are like, oh, you know, life's okay, I'm pretty cool, I'm all right with myself, da-da-da. If we've had these, which many, many of us have, have... trauma traumatic experiences then the default mode network becomes hostile so and many of us are, ex- are experienced with this right going into that like oh I'm not busy with anything which is part of the endemic of busyness is people want to get away from that voice right that's like like if I'm not busy I don't want to swear but you know you piece of nye, 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 that's what we hear in that aspect of our brain it can be very critical about I think the, the statistic that I read was small but significant. was about 10% of the population. That segment of the brain, the synaptic connections that form the default mode network, don't actually respond, don't shift and change when mindfulness meditation is introduced. So the, the whole... It, it doesn't? It doesn't.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Right, because the whole idea is we change synaptic connections in the brain with meditation, right? But for some people, that particular aspect that Mm. regulates that kind of self-critical voice, mindfulness meditation doesn't touch it. Wow. doesn't actually change. And so we need different types of tools if that's what we've got going on in our head than just pure observation.
0: Sorry, I was just muted. Um. Self-regulation then, right? I mean, like, like what, what is, What is? I mean, you, we haven't even started talking about embodiment, <laughs> if you like, I mean, we have, but maybe maybe just for a moment here, um, what to you is embodiment or embodied practice? Uh, I think many of us have heard about that, um, but yeah.
1: For me, and I, because I think it's, again, one of those terms, so I'm glad we're defining it now. Yes. I think different people might use it in different ways. So for me, it definitely relates to this sense of having a conscious awareness of what is happening in the body through the lens of the nervous system and understanding our biology. So for me, embodiment is, you know, I'm a, I'm a human creature and I experience the world through my body like everybody else. So it's having that awareness and that understanding combined with the capacity to feel into sensations. So for many people... Either they've learned that mindfulness technique. And for me, it was Vipassana meditation, which kind of is super helpful, but has this kind of cool observation, right? But if you think about trauma, which has been, I've gone through something that's overwhelmed me, and then I haven't had that resonance with another human being to help me kind of return to a sense of safety, that cool observation is just the same experience. It's like this detached coldness. So having this capacity to be warm towards and with the internal states of the body and to be able to tolerate them, because if there's trauma there and the nervous system is highly dysregulated, the intensity of the experiences that can come up in relation to something that would rationally appear quite small can be quite scary and overwhelming. So I can even tell you, I sort of want to share, because I remember when I its a long time ago, when I first started coming across this and I had a history and and patterns with people, um, older women, and there was a a kind of thing going on and I'd had disapproval from somebody. And I said to this person, I was like, you know, when like someone criticises you and you feel like your whole body's on fire and your legs can't move and you want to sink into the ground. And she was like, no, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, right, not everybody has the same intensity and level of experience as sensation yeah. in the body. Right. So it's, But the people I work with, when there's been significant disempowerment or traumatic experiences going on, then they, they do. And often people who don't, it's not because they're not there, it's because they've been numbed by addictive tendencies of all sorts. So people don't want to feel that stuff because it's hard to feel. And they push it down. So we don't want to feel pain. We end up not feeling so much joy and pleasure. So embodiment is really coming back into touch with those sensations, those experiences, having the confidence to understand them, the compassion to understand this is my protective response, taking care of me, giving me information, and then developing that capacity to interpret the information and put it to good use in your life and decisions.
0: Mm, Beautiful. So... When you work with clients, um, what are what is like what are some of the practices that you actually help them to, you know, do on a regular basis? Because of course, if we if we actually want to heal um, in a way that is you know sustainable and not just like a one time thing, uh, it needs. Am I am I right to say it needs to become a practice, like something that we do on a regular basis, right? So what, what, give us a sense, just give us a little taste of what are some of the practices that you always encourage clients to do.
1: Yeah. So the word I use for that process, George's integration. So mm, yes, for most clients, there hasn't been an experience of safety. It's not really something they may have ever really truly had mm. in their lives either by themselves or with another person. But essentially for all of us, it needs to happen with another person first. Then we internalize that capacity to offer that to ourselves. And many people have never had it. So the therapeutic relationship is one in which that experience of being safe. So back to polyvagal, ventral vagal experience, social engagement and connection is is felt for perhaps the first time in a really deeply genuine way for that person. Okay, this is what it feels like to be safe. The um, times between sessions are the integration of, like, how do I bring that state back into my day-to-day life? How do I begin to have agency in self-regulation to bring that state into my day-to-day world? And this is where the nervous system tools come in and the brain, understanding the brain science, comes in so beautifully and to experience it through the body. Because I teach really simple little, I don't like the word hacks, but little little tools for bringing all of that together. So bringing the conscious mind, bringing the body, bringing the understanding, bringing the sensations all together. So I think I've even showed you this one before, but this is one of my favorites. And I'm big on the accessibility and practicality and applicability in the moment of things so i had this 25 years of yoga history practiced yoga for years and i still was not finding the capacity to translate that experience from the yoga class of peace into like a spot moment in my day-to-day life i was like oh i'm I'm feeling angry and upset i better go do 30 minutes of asana or 20 minutes of pranayama you know and breathing I, i couldn't do that so these are like Little capsules of yoga almost. I just thought of that. I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah. Like like a minimum
0: by like a a homeopathy of yoga. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, it's like the little drop. Okay, I've got a little drop of that medicine. So I like to think about all my tools that I can carry them in the palm of my hand and understanding my hand as a model of my brain. So here is, I teach clients this all the time as a really helpful one for when they're feeling dysregulated to be able to go oh I remember this is how my nervous system is working my brain stem is here here's my spine my brain stem here is my limbic system which is connected to our emotions which is connected to the parts of the brain that register the alarm system and here is my cortex and prefrontal cortex so the limbic system and the amygdala the little part of the brain that really detects threats lives deep down inside the middle of the brain so it tucks in here and the cortex wraps around it so I like to think about it when I'm dysregulated it's like this you know my brain is feeling all all kind of separate from each other and then my prefrontal cortex is part of my body and my brain which is the rational Uh, sensible you know well-reasoned part can come and just hold this part so my emotional self and my logical self are working together are being held together and then it's an actual bodily experience right so we're holding the thumb you think about infants doing this there's a very physiological soothing experience of doing this and going okay and then knowing It's visually represented outside of myself. So you can get that moment of space. It's not just happening so much inside me that it's overwhelming. You can get that bit of space from it. Ah, okay. You're just having a bit of a hard time right now. Emotional limbic system and emotional and and nervous system. I'm a bit disturbed. I'm just going to give you a little hug and it's okay. And this helps people, like you were saying before, not judge what's happening inside them but bring instant compassion to it. So that's one of my absolute favorites. And all these like a little bit of a self-hug, something that just contains like, oh, my body's here. Because if people have had trauma, the sense of containment of self and this like, oh, boundaries between me and other people is not as strong. So we just need to go, okay. You know, and if they've been practicing and learning some of the other tools and it's like, okay, here's my body. Here's the outside of my body. And I can own and regulate what's going on inside of it. Mm. That's a yeah. couple of really. Yeah.
0: For, and for those who um, are, are listening to this on the podcast, you know, um, I hope you'll watch this video, but uh, because I think the, 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 um, what you're showing us with your body mm-hmm. is, is helpful uh, experience. So um, back to the authentic goal setting. So now we have a sense of why, we we're, we have a hard time being authentic in our expression um but what about goals i mean why 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 might we not be setting actu- goals that are actually truly what we want do we a lot of people don't even know what they want mm-hmm. right like what what's your perspective on that
1: because well, they don't know who they are because mm. for most of their lives they are a collection of reactions right and of their nervous system trying to keep them safe so like we talked about before when they tried to express themselves authentically they were shut down so they're like oh that's not i'm not going to do that because that's going to separate me actually separate me from other people so i better do these other things which at least don't get me criticized or yelled out or whatever it is that are you know our particular experiences so they don't Many people with, you know, and, and I include myself in this, you know, in my, in my past and my history, they call it the false self. We're operating out of a shell, really, that lives on the outside of our true authentic self, which is all a collection of the coping strategies, of the protecting strategies. And again, no judgment. Thank goodness. You know, for many people, that was their survival, that, that stuff that happened that to form that um, false self was needed because it wasn't safe to be the true self. So we love this part. We honor this part. But they don't really know what lives behind it inside the depths of their true self. And when they try to go there, all of these protective mechanisms block that and stop that. So it's quite challenging initially when you start doing the healing work to actually go, who am I and what do I truly want?
0: Wow. And this brings us to, well, this is part of the work that you do with clients. And I, I hope those who are listening and watching can, if uh, anyone resonates, you know, contact Mira for, um, you know, for, for possibility of working with her, because this is powerful, powerful stuff that affects every area of your business, (laughs) because it's, it's you moving through all these, you know, every day and all these actions. And are you doing it from um, a place of authentic power? Um, so I want to mention. I want to make sure folks know about your upcoming uh, webinar. Uh, and by the way, some some people are listening or watching uh, this um, months from now, but you'll still have the webinar recording available for purchase. So, and at, I'm sure it's a, it's at, at a reasonable rate. Um, the, the, so tell us about this um, embodied envisioning. Right. And how and how does that relate to what we're taught, what we've been talking about?
1: Beautiful. So, yeah. So essentially the experience of coming together initially is to experience that safety. And in that safety, begin to learn how to self-regulate out of protective states and begin to come in touch with the true self. And once we're in touch with the true self, once we're in the ventral vagal state, once we're in this state of connectedness and possibility, then what comes to us and what we might dream of, we know is more truly connected to the depths of what we truly want. Because not coming out of that, oh, I better, you know, as you gave the example, so I better take that college degree so that mum doesn't guilt trip me for the rest of my life and then I end up having all these sensations that I don't want to deal with and then I end up you know smoking to try and not feel those things so as we start to peel that stuff away and we heal often often there'll be like key traumatic memories that may have occurred to set that pattern really deeply into our nervous system and we resolve and heal them then we begin to know okay I can start to envision from this place. We won't go as deep in the webinar, you know, into that stuff. That's more the one-on-one work. But we can begin to touch into through the webinar process, through the webinar content, into, oh, what does it actually feel like? If I start dreaming of my future from this well-regulated place, which most people are not in for very much of the time, what would I actually say if I wasn't scared of what was going to happen as a result of me saying what I truly want and oh, I kind of feel like myself right now, you know, then what could that be? So I'll be teaching people how to do that and we'll be working on, okay, as we talked about, so I set this goal and what happened, you know, what, what, what happens in my body as I start to work towards that goal? And if it feels threatening, there could be dysregulation, there could be emotional distress and experiences that are quite, frightening and and discouraging for people, even though they're working towards what they want. The nervous system is going, oh, this is unfamiliar. So I'm going to protect you from it. So it's learning how to put in place, like map that out and put in place the tools that you need to go, oh, no, this is an authentic goal. It's just that it's, you know, like you talked about before, this is me growing into a more abundant and receiving way of being. And my nervous system doesn't feel safe like that. So it's bringing out all the protectors. How am I going to work with them to regulate and to create the safety inside my body so that I can then come into these actions and take these steps towards these goals as I need to?
0: Mm, it's beautiful. So, it is about creating an authentic vision for, mm. your, for your life, could be for your business, and being able to actually take action on it understanding the self-regulation needed to continue to manifest that. I hope everyone will consider checking it out. Of course, I will have the link um, or information below this uh, video or episode for you to check it out. Mira, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, I hope that this reaches many people so we can all start to uh, have more self-compassion and compassion for others and be able to actually, uh, well, Express more authentically. So, thank you for the work that you do. Um, tell people where where you like them to you know look up your content and information. And of yeah. course, links will be below. But you can just verbally share it anyway.
1: Thank you. Thanks, George. And likewise to you. You know, you and I were chatting about this yesterday, and and you said, oh well, I I don't know that I did it consciously, but you are a beautiful demonstration of what a well regulated nervous system and authentic that commitment to bringing yourself through the blocks and fears to authentic expression it looks like so, it, thank it, you
0: it just took me 10 times longer than it needed to <laughs> so um people work with mira so <laughs> you could save yourself those
1: you about that? You. Yes. we said it's i said it's uh, it's able to do it with grace and rapidity yes I mean, yes, yes to work through these blocks
0: yeah.
1: um the the best place if anyone's interested in the workshop if someone's watching this soon in the webinar I have a little pop-up on my website, which will pop down there. And if they enter their email in there, then I'm sending out information about the webinar that way. If they want to look at my content, the best place is either my personal profile or my business page, which I'll give you the links on Facebook and uh, Instagram as well. So I often publish the same videos on both platforms. Awesome. And I would love, and I'm just up for conversation. Like I'm so passionate about this stuff. And it, it really is George, like, it's for so many people it's such a nice way to bring that compassion in when you're told have compassion for yourself but how oh understanding that this is how i'm meant to be
0: right yes like having it's grounded compassion it's (laughs) it's not like a fake it till you make it compassion but it's like oh that no wonder no wonder yeah yeah so thank you so much mira
1: My absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me on today, George. I really appreciate it. And chat as always.
0: If you're planning your business for the next year, why not do it with me in a group using my business model as a guide? If you're interested, check out the link below.